Good morning, friends. Oh, how I have missed you. I love seeing you, seeing your eyes, seeing your cool masks. Friends at home, so grateful that you can join us too. I'm grateful for technology and the people here at Orchard who make this all work behind the scenes. So, welcome. What if I told you that you were created to be eternal? That this, all of this, isn't all there is. That you and I were created for something way bigger and more lasting than a few mere decades of life on this planet. What if? I love how 19th century American novelist Nathaniel Hawthorne put it. This is what he writes. He said, our creator would never have made such lovely days and have given us the deep hearts to enjoy them above and beyond all thought unless we were meant to be immortal. And the writer of Ecclesiastes, that great wisdom book in the Old Testament, put it this way. He says, he, meaning God, God has set eternity right into the human heart. We were created as eternal beings. But as you've heard in this series, if you've been listening, and if you haven't, I encourage you to listen online, sin brought death into the world, and humanity has been on a quest to figure out what to do with our restless, created-for-eternity selves ever since. But thank God, God has been on this same quest, too. And so, there is Jesus. And on the cross and in the tomb, after it seemed everything was lost, God conquered death. God mended Jesus' broken body. God breathed life back into what was dead, and the era of the resurrection was born. Eternity broke through in that moment. Heaven came to earth. And even though we still live in a world, we still live in an era of time dominated by sin and death, we know that one day, just like Dave described last week, one day heaven will fully break in and God will make all things new, including his children, and God will mend our physical bodies Two, God will breathe new life into what was dead. And we now, and Jesus makes this offer, we now can live in light of this eternity, even as we wait for what is to come. 
And that's why we entitled this four-week series, Today's the End of This, we entitled this series Eternal, Eternal Today. Because we want to try to talk about and explain why the resurrection of Jesus and why our eventual resurrection matters today. And I don't know about you, but I used to have a pretty childlike view of heaven, right? I thought it was some kind of floaty, happy, wingy, cloudy, harpy kind of a place, which sounded pretty boring to me. Because if you know me at all, you know I'm not a happy, wingy, cloudy, harpy, floaty kind of a person. <laughs> but I no longer believe that is our destiny. Because the, the more I dig into the scriptures, the more I believe in the great renewal of all creation, including this earth, including all that God created, including the physical resurrection of our bodies, just as Jesus' very physical body was resurrected. I love the, the message paraphrase of Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. This is what it says. It says, we're awaiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which he is putting everything as it should be, under and around him. Don't miss this statement. So we're awaiting the eventual arrival of Jesus. Who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own? Now that feels too good to be true, doesn't it? And also, if we're honest, it feels and sounds a little weird. Right? But our eventual bodily resurrection and the renewal and the restoration of all of God's good creation, all of it, this is the cornerstone of our faith, friends. Weird though it may sound, this is what fueled the fire of the early church. This is what fueled the disciples' eventual fearlessness in their faith. So let's look this morning at one of the disciples, right? Jesus' friends and followers, his closest friends. I want to look at one of their first experiences with their resurrected rabbi after that first Easter morning. So in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, which is where we're going to look, Jesus has already been resurrected, and he started to have these various encounters with his old friends. And in verse 36, right before we're going to pick up, Jesus appears to his disciples in his new body, and he says to his friends, peace be with you, which is a very common greeting in the Middle East, and here's, what's hap here's what happens next. But the whole group was startled and frightened, as you would be. 
thinking they were seeing a ghost, as of course you would think. I love Jesus. <laughs> Why are you frightened? He asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me. Can you imagine this? Touch me and make sure I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder, right? All kinds of awkward emotions. And then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. <laughs> I love that detail. And he ate it as they watched. You guys, Jesus' friends were freaked out at seeing him after his death because he was there in the flesh. And to prove it, Jesus showed them his hands where the nails had ripped through his flesh. And he showed him his feet where the nails had torn wounds. Twice, Luke tells us he did this. Look at my hands, Jesus said. Look at my feet. Then you'll know it's me. Jesus' resurrection body, get this, had scars from the wounds of the crucifixion. And it was his scars that let his followers know it was him. Look at these, Jesus kept saying. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. And don't miss this. When Jesus rose from the dead, his restored body was surprisingly like his former body, so much so that he ate a fish right in front of them. And he did it on purpose. Now, what does that mean for us? Right? What does that mean for us today and in eternity? What does that mean for us if this is true? Back to the Philippians verse. We're awaiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. This isn't the only place in the New Testament where we hear this kind of truth. 1 John 3, verse 2 says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Friends, we will have bodies like Jesus. And apparently, Jesus' eternal, glorious body still had his scars. And since our bodies are going to be transformed in similar ways to Jesus, our scars might just come with us too. Have you ever thought about this? So what, Alice? <laughs> so what? Well, I want to tell you so what. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about how this truth 
might help us see our wounds and our scars in a fresh light this morning. So the first thing I want to say is that our scars matter. They make us who we are. They made Jesus who he is, and they make us who we are. And listen, I don't know if our eternal bodies will have scars. I don't know that, but I kind of hope they do. No matter, one way or the other, the fact that Jesus kept his scars tells us that our scars matter. They made Jesus who he was. They make him who he is today. And our scars make us who we are. They are signs that we have lived. Right? They are our war wounds. They are signs of survival, of courage, of trial by fire. Never be ashamed of your scars. Because they tell the story of our life. Whenever I see the scar on my knee, I remember the time my mom burned off my first wart. That's fancy. We used to burn those things off, friends. Just burn it. Whenever I see the scar in the middle of my hand, I remember the day in grade school that I decided to do jumping jacks while holding a sharp pencil. It's a real idiot move. Don't try this at home, okay? Whenever I see the two scars on my head when I'm combing my hair, I remember in sixth grade when a big, old, heavy, old-time iron merry-go-round fell on me, and I did not die. And I'm grateful. Whenever I see the scars on my knee from surgery, I remember the time that I ruptured my ACL because I was too proud to sit out a flag football game right, out, right after I had given birth to my first daughter. Surprising. Whenever I see the really attractive scar on my belly, I remember the surgeon who saved my life after my appendix ruptured. And I also remember that my husband did not believe me when I told him that my stomach hurt. He told me to suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) Then my appendix blew up. Thank God I survived, right? Because he would have felt bad. (laughs) Sorry, Chuck, but you know it's true. And I remember deeper, more invisible scars of bullies, broken hearts, bad days, and dark depression, and broken dreams, and sleepless nights, and ruptured friendships, and words I wish I never would have said. And the fact that Jesus bears his scars into eternity should remind me that my scars and yours, even the deepest ones, they matter somehow. They matter. My scars make me who I am. Your scars make you who you are. Jesus' friends knew it was Jesus after the resurrection because of his scars. So don't hate your scars. They make you who you are. Our scars can also be a source of God's healing in this world. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah 
when, when writing about the coming Messiah, Jesus the Christ said this, he said, by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. The cross tells us that this is true. And you know what else is true? Through our wounds and scars, if we offer them, God can heal others. I've seen it happen. As I was preparing this teaching, I took a walk one day and I was listening to a podcast. Some, you know, I just started to do this during COVID and uh, I heard this true story. A dad was telling this story about his teenage son who was Jewish, who had taken a class trip with uh, a bunch of other teenage Jewish students uh, to Israel. And one day, one of, one of uh, the young uh, teenagers, a young, a young boy, disappeared with one of the counselors and was gone for the whole day. And none of the other students, the classmates, knew where he had been. And when he came back to join the other students, they asked him, you know, where were you? And he started to tell them this amazing story. He said, my grandparents were survivors of the Holocaust. And he said they were married three weeks before they were deported to Auschwitz, where, of course, then they were separated by gender, right? So this young couple married three weeks in a concentration camp. And the boy said, my grand grandfather used to take extra food, like an extra piece of bread or an extra potato, and he would sneak over to the women's side at night and give that to his brand new bride. And then the boy's grandmother got transferred to a rabbit farm on the outskirts of Auschwitz, where the Nazis were doing medical experiments on rabbits. I'll save you the details of that. But the rabbit farm was run by this Polish farmer. And he noticed very early on that the rabbits were getting better quality medical care and food than the Jewish prisoners. So he started to sneak food in to give uh, to the, the Jewish people, including this boy's grandmother. And then the boy's grandmother, one day while working on the rabbit farm, she cut her arm, she sliced it open on some barbed wire, which would be no big deal unless it got infected, which it did, which would be no big deal unless you were a Jewish prisoner in a German concentration camp. And there was no way she was gonna get any antibiotics. And seeing this, the Polish man who ran the rabbit farm cut his own arm open. And he put his wound on this boy's grandmother's wound. And he took on her infection. And he went to the Nazis and he showed them his wound. And he said, listen, I'm one of your best workers. Without me, this rabbit farm won't be as productive and he begged them to give him some antibiotics, and they did. And he went right to the teenage boy's grandmother, and he gave her the medication, and it saved her life. And so the boy said to his classmates, where was I all day? That Polish rabbit farmer is still alive. And I went to him, and I told him, thank you for my life. By his wounds, 
we are healed. What scars do you bear? What hidden wounds of your heart or soul do you carry? What if Jesus wants to use your wounds to provide help and healing to another struggler in this world? See, I believe he does. I see it happen all the time. Our wounds and scars, if offered up to this world, can be a beautiful source of God's healing power today. Our scars matter, friends. And if shared with a fellow struggler, God can use them for good. But what about, e- what about eternity, Alice? What about scars in eternity? When we cross that river, when we breathe our last breath on this side, when our earthly bodies die, I believe that our scars on these bodies will be made beautiful. And listen, all kinds of really smart people wrote big, long theological papers about why we're not going to have scars or cracks or broken pieces in eternity. And I read some of those, and the truth is, I'm just not so sure I believe them. Truth is, despite all the papers and books written on the topic, we don't know. (laughs) I could write a very short book. We don't know. But we are told in 1 John 3, 2, that we're going to be like Jesus, for we will see him as he is. That is as clear as clear can be, it seems to me. And in his resurrection body, Jesus still has scars. He still bears the wounds of his love for us. And I wonder if we will bear our wounds too, but in a beautiful kind of way, in a mended, restored, renewed, resurrected kind of way. Will you wonder that with me for just a minute? I recently learned about the Japanese art of kintsugi. Glad you're not in the front row. Kintsugi. And what it is, the word kintsugi literally means golden repair or the art of precious scars. Where the Japanese artists take broken pottery and they mend the chips and cracks with a kind of lacquer that's mixed with gold dust. Isn't it breathtaking? Beautiful in the broken places. And listen, the artists aren't trying to disguise the scars. They actually believe the broken places mended with gold make the original vessel more beautiful. Each piece created is unique, each bowl or pitcher or plate telling the story of its life through its broken places, each beautifully made whole by the artist. And as I started to look at these, 
beautiful, broken pieces of art, I started to wonder, in eternity, with our resurrected bodies, if we will still have our scars, and if we will sit around and tell stories with each other of how our scars made us who we are, of how God used our scars to help and heal other people, and how in the end, in that final moment, much to our surprise and joy, Jesus didn't erase our scars. He didn't airbrush them away. He mended our scars, and he made us more beautiful than any of us could ever imagine. And I wonder if Jesus will lead us in that conversation, showing us again, see my hands, see my feet, then you know it's me. Can you just picture it? One day, I don't know when, it might not be until after we die, but I know this, God is going to take the broken shards of your life and mine, and he is going to piece them together into something more beautiful and full of glory beyond all we can imagine. This is our hope. Because living in this world is going to leave scars, amen? <laughs> and giving ourselves away to the world in the name of Jesus is going to cause deep wounds. But our scars are badges of love. They are not ugly. They are not worthless. They make us who we are. And no wound, no scar, no shattered part of yourself will ever go to waste. God didn't cause that devastation, but God can always use our wounds to help heal other people. Don't hide them. And those scars are going to be made beautiful in ways we can't even imagine on this side of things. Jesus' own resurrection proves these things true. We, as followers of Jesus, are people of the resurrection, friends. Now let's live as if that were true. Scars and all. Amen. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to take our wounded, limping, scar-filled bodies, and we are going to stand up and use them to worship the God of the resurrection. Let's pray. God, in a culture that seems to uh, idolize fake perfection, we want to live as true, authentic, scar-filled people. Thank you for the strange truth that when you started to appear to your friends after you rose from the grave, you bore the wounds and scars of your love on your hands and your feet. And you were not ashamed of those things, but you showed them to your friends. And you said, look at these. These things, these scars tell you that it's me. And so God, will you remind each one of us that our scars matter because they make us who we are. 
Would you remind us to not be ashamed of our scars and our wounds, but to bring them out of hiding and to offer them humbly to you so that you can use them to heal other people. And God, in the end, will you give us great joy and hope and excitement actually to think about the fact that you will make our scars beautiful for all eternity. And now, may we use these broken, scar-filled, wound-filled bodies to worship you with everything we have. Amen.